0: Hello, once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Thursday, February 11th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from Brad Powers dot com. We're talking some college football. We're talking some FCS college football. Recap the Super Bowl. Talk college basketball. Lots of good stuff here on today's edition of the show. Lots of good stuff over at ATS.io dot IO as well right now. Got picks, previews, predictions of all kinds of stuff tonight for college basketball, NHL, NBA. My situational betting articles for the NBA and the NHL still relevant on a daily basis. We'll have another update for those on Sunday night with the games coming up that following week. I got a preview up of UFC 258. A couple of good uh, new user promotions over at DraftKings Sportsbook for UFC 258. You can read about over at the website. And I'm working hard on the 2021 MLB betting guide. About 12 and a half first drafts written of the 30-team previews. So hard at work on that. Hoping to release that here two weeks from today. Obviously, that means a lot of work left to do for me, but I'm used to it. Volume's always kind of been my thing. So should have that ready to go here for you by February 25th. If not then, then certainly on March 1st to give you a full month to get ready for the MLB season. Lastly, make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find over in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. Full article integration from the website. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen. It's a stats database to help you handicap the games. And if you want, you can subscribe to the premium model, 9 dollars a week, $19.99 a month to get the selections right there in that app. So check out that ATS app today. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional, better, and handicapper, Brad Powers from BradPowersSports.com. And Brad, how's it going today, man? That's going well. How you doing? Doing well, buddy. Appreciate your time as always here, sir. And uh, we're now, what, four days removed from the Super Bowl. And not the greatest of games, certainly, but at least the props kind of give you some interest throughout the course of the game, even though that one was decided pretty early on. How'd the Super Bowl wind up for you? And what'd you think about the game? I was
1: profitable, uh, you know. Outside of, of course, you know the 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 one prop play that I I gave out on this show and a lot of shows went down in flames. Uh, That being under, you know, total penalties in the game, thanks to the Chiefs there being undisciplined and not necessarily ready. But really, outside of that, um, even though I was surprised at at, you know how disparate the final was in the Bucks' direction, individual player props and and whatnot ended up being a, a good return on investment for me so I mean I guess that's all you can ask for is to, to, to show a little bit of profit uh, that ended up working out although you know the, I, I do find it interesting that you know Tampa Bay if I had to say at the start of 2020 would have been the most public team because of Brady and Gronk and whatnot and all the hype and hoop love to, to see them win it uh, you know, I I, I I certainly didn't, you know, predict that at the start of 2020. You, usually I fade the, the very popular public team.
0: Yeah, and it was one of those things, too, where, you know, Tampa Bay, when they stepped up in class in the regular season, didn't play very well. No. You know, didn't look good in either game against the Saints. Didn't look particularly good against the Saints in the playoff game either, but wound up, you know, being plus three in turnovers uh, in that second half. But, you know, the only playoff team that they beat in the regular season was Green Bay. Then they beat Green Bay again in the playoffs yep. in a game where they gave Green Bay a lot of opportunities and then just went ahead and dominated the Chiefs, you know? So it was a very uninspiring full body of work for Tampa Bay, you know, over their first 19 games. Then they put it all together and dominated the Chiefs in the Super Bowl in really the outcome that I couldn't envision, you know, I could see Kansas city winning big. I could see a closer game, whether that was Tampa Bay or Kansas city winning, I didn't see Tampa Bay in blowout fashion and it kind of had an impact on some of my props, you know, like the chiefs over four and a half players with a rushing attempt, they had to abandon the run very early in that game. You know, uh, there were some other things that I kind of looked at, kind of played that, you know, didn't come to fruition. Uh, But you know, again, I mean, credit to Todd Bowles, credit to the Buccaneers. And it speaks to one thing on, on a very grand stage and something that people don't think enough about. And frankly, people like me didn't think enough about going into the Super Bowl. You got all the fantasy players, all the skill guys, the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, so on and so forth. You've got you know the big names that make big plays in the secondary on defense. It's a game about the trenches. And Tampa Bay dominated the trenches on both yep. sides of the ball. They're your champion. And it's a good reminder that you know if you're not factoring the trenches into your handicap, you are doing things very, very wrong.
1: And the market certainly didn't factor in factor in, in appropriately. And, you know, we talk about cluster injuries a lot during the course of a football season, whether it be college or in the NFL. And I will use now that Super Bowl as, as one of my primary examples, just because a lot of people watched it. They, they'll understand it. But it it just shows you, is one guy, you know, obviously quarterbacks, uh, the all-important position. uh, But when when you're talking about position groups, whether it be a defensive backfield, you know, front seven on defense, or in this instance, an offensive line, is one guy, you know, going to move a point spread? No, uh, and probably shouldn't. But once you, you know, like the Chiefs came into the game missing both tackles, and then a couple other guys are banged up, once you get to, you know, that second, third, fourth guy that's compromised, I I don't think the market really ever factors that in appropriately. And we saw that obviously have a major impact. We saw historical outliers because of it, as far as pressure rate uh, on Mahomes. I mean, compared to not just any playoff game, but pretty much any game in the regular season for the last several seasons, that's how much he was pressured. And again, that wasn't, even with the little bit of money coming in on Tampa Bay, uh, it, it still wasn't factored appropriately, and I'm not sure that that really ever is. So I guess moving forward, what's the take? How can we profit off something like that moving forward is, you know, the, the, the trenches do with all the focus on the outside and the speed on the perimeter, getting out in space and whatnot. Football hasn't changed for the last hundred years. It's still, you know, it's not the end all, but it still plays a significant part, the line of scrimmage
0: and the the market, the gambling market th- doesn't always factor that in. Well, and and you know, double shame on me because I talked about it in the lead up to the Super Bowl on multiple shows that the Buccaneers beat the Packers because of their defensive line. Because they pressured Aaron Rodgers, they pressured him into some inaccurate throws. They sacked him what five times, I think, in that conference championship game. Like, why wouldn't they do the same thing to this yeah. patchwork Kansas City offensive line? And You know, it it is the penultimate example of hindsight being 2020, but I didn't factor it in enough. None of the other shows I listened to factored it in enough. Nobody I read factored it in enough that Tampa Bay's defensive line had a chance to dominate that game, and they did. And it was exactly what they did the week before, where they won in spite of Tom Brady, you know, of course, the Super Bowl MVP. So, yeah, it's it is something that you know you learn a hard lesson sometimes. And I learned a hard lesson taking Kansas City, you know, minus three, minus 15 for that game. But it, it doesn't matter if it's college football or the NFL, the trenches matter. And that was, you know, a glaring example of it. And something that now, as I go forward, I refuse to let myself forget. It will have to be a factor in my handicapping to a much higher degree than it was, whether it puts me on a play keeps me off of a play doesn't matter I'm just focusing a lot more on the trenches than I previously have and in particular in the NFL
1: you know we always say that that's always going to be a part of my factor and because of everything that's going on in our lives and you know obviously the the betting market becomes a little bit more complicated with each passing year it's almost like I I and I haven't done it I don't know why I need to create a checklist Of stuff like that, and just have it front and center on my computer. Did I check that? Did I check that? Did I check that when it comes to an overall handicap, uh, or when you're diving in on a game like a Super Bowl, when you got multiple weeks to look at just one individual game? I feel like a lot of us don't have that, you know basic one-on-one handicapping checklist. Did we factor that in? I, you know, shame on me for not putting all the pieces together. If you look at my prop portfolio, I had Mahomes over rushing yards because I thought he would be scrambling. I had Tampa Bay over the, their sack total, because again, I thought they could take advantage uh, of the chiefs, not having both offensive tackles. How do I have that in my prop portfolio and still come to the conclusion that Kansas city minus three on the side is the correct position. I don't know how that happens.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just, you know, I don't want to say being overwhelmed with all the props that yeah. are out there because I mean, th- you know, this is kind of our business, but maybe that's it. You know, maybe it's just we're, we're pulled in so many different directions that, you know, y- your mind just goes in so many different places that you know, maybe you miss something that kind of is right in front of you. And, and that's sort of what it was for me. You know, I talked about it last week, thinking of what are the coordinators going to do? What are their game plans going to be? And maybe enemy didn't expect Tampa Bay to get the same level of pressure that they got pretty much all season long, except for that one data point against the Chiefs. I, I don't know, but Kansas City looked lost. They looked yep. disjointed from the jump. You know, Mahomes is getting it out quick to Hardman, and he's not even looking for the football. Yep. They, just, they looked ill prepared, which, you know, I wouldn't expect that from the Chiefs, a team that's lost what, three games in the last two years? Like, that's not something that I would expect out of them, but it is what happened. And so, you know, again, the trenches playing a big factor overall here in what Tampa Bay was able to do in the playoffs and certainly something that I will factor into my handicapping a lot more here as we go forward. We're not done handicapping football, though, Brad. We've got the FCS starting up this weekend, McNeese State and Tarleton State, and then a much bigger slate in week two. Teams like James Madison in action. Uh, you got the SoCon in action next week as well. Some of the Southland Conference teams also. Um, you know, a lot Ohio Valley Conference. I, I assume these are all still the same for football. But we got FCS here coming up. And, and one game here, the Spotlight Game this weekend, one that's getting a lot of action because people are desperate to bet football. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's a really
1: tough handicap, at least as far as the side, because I, I think it's two teams that I kind of want to fade, you know, starting with McNeese state, uh, you know, if you haven't followed along with, with, you know, what's going on there. I mean, basically it's a lot of off the field issues and not necessarily because of COVID, but because of, of weather and a hurricane McNeese state is like Charles, Louisiana hit extremely hard by hurricane Laura back in August And, uh, you know, McNeese State was already a team that was transitioning in a COVID season with a first year coach in Frank Wilson, who I like. He's a former UTSA head coach. I got fired there, didn't work out, but he's a really good recruiter, Uh, has been at LSU, has been at at big time programs. But because of the hurricane, just damaged, uh, damaged the entire campus, you know, even wrecked the football stadium and whatnot. You know, the players for McNeese State had to relocate all over the country during the fall months. They, they weren't on campus. Uh, and even when they came back, a lot of the players and coaching staff, you know, had to live in a hotel because their homes were damaged and whatnot. Uh, you know, 20 players have left the team since Wilson took over at the start, uh, you know, about a year ago at this point. McNeese just lost a defensive coordinator a week ago for an FBS job. So, I mean, when, when you see something like that, hey, I want to fade McNeese State. This is a team in disarray. But yet when I look at the, the other side, Tarleton State, if you're not familiar with them, it's probably a good reason. I mean, this is their first game ever at the FCS level. They're a really good Division II program, uh, you know, 11-1 last year, 12-1 and one in 2018. I mean, they're as good as it gets at the Division II level. But making the transition from Division II to the FCS – you know, from what I've seen in the past, isn't all that different from the FCS jumping up to the FBS. So uh, when, when you look at a Tarleton state team that loses that, that they're a quarterback, loses their leading rusher, lose their leading receiver, their top tackler from last year, they have a big time transition. They're stepping up in class as far as, you know, uh, you know, opponents. So I guess what I'm getting at is I think typically you would think McNeese state, a winning program at the FCS level against, you know, Tarleton state, a team playing their first ever FCS game, I would be all over McNeese state, but I can't because of all the transition there for McNeese state. So it's a pass on the side. And you're probably wondering well, what the hell are you even do in a segment. If you're passing the side, I think because of all the transition, because of all the production loss for, for, you know, the, the McNeese state on the offense side of the ball, because Tarleton state is taking a step up in, in competition. And my number one factor 20-degree weather, even though this game is played in the state of Texas with some wind, I'm on the under, Adam. Uh, that'll, that'll be my free pick for the FCS, under 53, 53-and-a-half.
0: 53 yeah, this is one that you did get earlier on in the process and got some some line value out of it. And, you know, as people kind of look at the weather forecast and, and just sort of see, see the steam that's come in on this game, I imagine that total probably continues to drop a little bit. but a much bigger slate in week two. And we'll talk more about the week two card next week on the show, but you know, you know, the FBS inside and out, you know, I know that you do basically year round work with division one. A what about division one, double a here? You know, what, what's sort of been your thought process? What's sort of been the plan that you've gone through uh, to get prepared here to, you know, bet some FCS college football.
1: Uh, Really good question. Uh, It's, Obviously, I usually what I do for the FCS work, I just focus on teams that play FBS opponents. So, you know, I, I you know, look for value in that regard. Usually it's the first couple weeks of the season where, you know, the FBS teams play about 100 games against FCS uh, opponents. And, you know, I got a whole off season to to study up this season, obviously, like almost every other sport, very different. Uh, What I'm looking to take advantage of are are teams that have necessarily been ravaged. Like I just talked about McNeese state Uh, teams that have lost. uh, If you look at the transfer portal uh, at the FBS levels where people focus, I mean, it, it, the, the, the transfer portal has been just as bad for FCS teams as far as, you know, the guys transferring up to the FBS level, I'm looking for teams in transition. And I guess, you know, unlike most, years when it comes to college football i'm looking to take advantage of early numbers some of it i'm gonna wait to see out i I think we're gonna clearly see teams that are very focused they want to play in the spring and i think we're gonna see and after even one week or two weeks it's gonna be clear teams are just you know going through the motions man uh so uh, I, i look it's not gonna you're not gonna be able to it's not gonna be a, a market where a big syndicate can come in and get a bunch of money down. So I know this sounds kind of public, but is the public really paying attention to FCS football? I'm looking to, you know, to kind of, you know, dip my toe in the water early on. And then I think it'll become apparent uh, that, that, that teams are going to be, you know, really going for it. And other teams aren't, I guess it, it's going to be, I, here's what I expect. What we, exactly what we've seen from pretty much every other sport during the pandemic The cream has risen to the top. I mean, the Lakers, the favorite, one that won the NBA. Dodgers, Major League Baseball, you know, won, the favorite. Alabama football, won won in college football. Tampa Bay, a very public team, but also one of the favorites coming in. They end up winning it. I I mean, I'll be absolutely stunned if North Dakota State and some of the other powers, uh, you know, aren't there at the end. I'm not looking for somebody to come out of nowhere. I'll just put it that way.
0: Yeah, you know, and and I think it's going to be really interesting to see here is, you know, we think about what happened with the XFL last year and and how there wound up being pretty substantial betting interest. Now, obviously, a lot of those guys were names that we knew, you know, ex-NFLers, guys that were pretty good in college, stuff like that. But it wound up getting a lot of betting interest when, frankly, we didn't know a whole lot about Mm. how these teams would do with the coaches, the coordinators, the rules, all that kind of thing, I would expect. Now we get a lot of people that dive in headfirst to the FCS just because it's football, just because it's now in the spotlight where you're actually going to find some of these games on ESPN plus, find some of these games on some of the networks that are out there. People will be interested because it's football and they can bet it now. And now the FCS will have the football spotlight to itself for the first time ever. So that'll be really interesting to kind of see what happens With line movements, do we get a lot of piggybacking from people that just say, Uh, well, that line's moving, it's gotta be right. You know, that's not always going to be the case. It'll take some time for this market to sort of settle in if it ever does. But something else that I think is really interesting and kind of worth following here is that you've got a lot of these draft pundits now that are going to be looking at the FCS level because they can actually scout it. They can actually take a look at it and see these players, you know, put together some sort of, longer term term portfolio than just playing you know an FBS game here or there something like that so I think when you get these headline players those teams all of the sudden will kind of get propped up a little bit in the public perception in the public eye maybe even with some of the deeper pocketed people that are betting the FCS so that's something that I'm kind of interested in to see you know which players kind of become cult heroes so to speak during this spring FBS schedule and what happens with the market on those teams, you know, by proxy of, of just one player or just heightened interest in that team.
1: You bring up so many great points. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what limits are to the start, because, uh, you know, I can tell you this on the total that I bet McNeese state uh, earlier this week, even at a place like Westgate, it was like 300 bucks. So I'm sure it'll get more as you get the game day, but that's what you're kind of dealing with or uh, er, earlier in the week, how much you can get down. At least that's what I've seen for, for the, the one game this week. You're right. I would expect name brand teams like the James Madisons, the North Dakota States of the world, probably going to take, if the public's going to bet on anything, they'll, they'll bet on teams that they're somewhat familiar with. So it'll be interesting to see if those teams get inflated prices. A lot of unknowns, and it's okay to admit that. I mean, <laughs> during a spring season, something we've never seen in college football before, I, I'm also looking to, to see, you know, another theory that I have is remember, you know, a few FCS teams played those two, three, four games in the fall. And it was usually at the start of the season when before the SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12 and whatnot were starting to play a majority of their games. So I'm wondering if those teams that the public kind of remembers seeing in September last year for a few games, I wonder if those teams get a little bit more action not only from the public but also the pros that the, the, the handicappers are going to dip their toe into this it'll be interesting to see if that's the case
0: well and something else too is you know those are relatively known commodities you know because we don't get a lot of fcs versus fcs lined games but we will come playoff time so yeah those are the spots where the odds makers at least have some sort of frame of reference for a lot of these games you know these teams are maybe lined once or twice They're, you know, getting 40 points against some FBS team, something like that. This is a market that will take a long time to mature. If you think you have an edge, you know, if you've done your research, you isolate a couple of games, there's a very good chance that your number will be better than what the odds makers put out there. And maybe even better than what the market puts it at, because there will be a lot of people who are looking at this for the first time. And so you're going to have a lot of, you know, money in there. That's not exactly educated. But you're also going to have some people out there that will have been doing a lot of homework on this for the last several weeks that will be respected, will be influential, will set the markets. So I think it's just going to be really fun to watch. I mean, when we think about betting markets out there, college football doesn't take a lot of time to settle in. Things tend to be pretty predictable overall. Obviously, all the pro sports are pretty predictable. This is, to some degree, like I mentioned with the XFL example earlier, This is, it's not a new market, but some of these teams just don't get lined. So it's a newer market in that sense where it could be high variance. It could be very illiquid. It could be something where, you know, you just have a really good chance at at getting some line value, getting some good numbers, getting out there in front of the market, but it will take research. It will take doing your homework. And if you've got the time to do it, I think it's a, it could be a very fruitful endeavor.
1: Absolutely, I I expect it to be inefficient, illiquid. Uh, Certainly, you know doesn't necessarily always. It could be an illiquid market. You could beat the you know have a bunch of closing line value and still have a losing season. So don't act like that can't happen. But I do expect everything you said there. So my advice to those of you that want to do it yourself, no different than college hoops. You know, instead of getting overwhelmed with, you know, the, the 80 to 90 teams that are actually going to play this spring, pick a couple conferences and, and, and go to town there. Because I, I think, like you mentioned, you know, if you're re- if you know what you're doing and, and you, you, you've done it in other sports in the past, you know how to do a power rating or you just, you know, dive into local newspapers and whatnot and, and
0: file beat reporters. I think you can have an edge on the market. Well, like I said, I mean, now we're in a situation where the FCS is going to get a lot more national attention because what what else is there to talk about? You know, I mean, college basketball, yeah, conference tournaments are coming up, and you know, the altered March Madness schedule, but the NBA, the NHL, you know, it's just kind of business as usual. You know, it's you get yeah. the COVID stories, but other than that, it's just kind of business as usual. Major League Baseball starting up, maybe that excites some people, but you know, I think I think FCS football. We'll get a lot more run now. I think people will be trying to talk about how, you know, this isn't that bad of a product. It's something that, you know, does merit watching. There's this player and that player and that player that are, you know, on teams draft boards and and stuff like that. So I, you know, with increased visibility, I think comes, you know, increased visibility in the betting markets as well. So it should be a whole lot of fun. Shout out to my good buddy, Ross. I know he pays a lot of attention to FCS football. I'm sure he'll be excited for us to talk about this more on the show and uh, probably wind up getting a text from him tonight about it, but I'm excited for it. You know, I I don't think it's a market I'm going to jump into and bet a whole lot. I'll leave that to people smarter than me, like you, Brad, but I think it'll be fun to talk about here on the show to say the least. Well,
1: let's not, let's see how smart I am when the season's over with uh i, I know yeah, you're gonna lead I the will market get,
0: though i know you're I gonna will get, market get value
1: yeah yeah I, if there's one thing that i'm i i know how to get out in front of the lines so the problem is i can get out lines but that doesn't necessarily mean that clients can do that because you know i tend to be at least in the football market you know people kinda know who i am a little bit uh and <laughs> we'll see uh I, again, I'm going to dip my toe first couple weeks and we'll see if I, uh, I can figure some things out. I I do expect to find some value. Uh, But, but again, it's going to, you know, it's going to take some time and, you know, I'm at sacrifice a little bit of basketball time and and we'll see what my ROI is on that.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I I think it's worth getting into. I mean, the the college basketball market is, is kind of what it is at this point. I know we'll talk a little bit here about some of the line value that you've been extracting from that. But I, I think this is, this is a market ripe for people to make money because you know if you know more than the odds makers in the market, then you know, as long as the results come your way, I think there's a great opportunity for success here. But speaking of the FBS level, you're already hard at work on that. In fact, you told me last night and uh, kind of blew my mind a little bit. You've already got all of your week one numbers put together, which is, is just crazy <laughs> in, in, in the middle of February.
1: Yeah, I got power rating numbers already An early draft. I probably have like five drafts of power rating numbers th- during the course of an offseason. But my first draft is pretty much done uh, as far as you know power ratings and obviously plug it in the schedules. And pretty much week one is completely known at this point. I think there's 88 games and uh, lines up on every game. I guess what I'm excited about and keep my TV ratings down, uh, and it was kind of a you know, disappointing. I'm glad they played football. Uh, don't get me wrong, but it's kind of been a blah last couple of years as far as, you know, college football, you know, I, and it's, you know, I'm a fan also, not just the guy that's looking to exploit markets and make money. I'm really excited about the week one slate. I mean, usually you get, you know, a bunch of tomato cans uh, and not really good matchups. I, to be perfectly frank, I think there's 20 to 30 games that are interesting in week one, which is about as deep. As I've ever seen it, not only week one, but any non conference week. I mean, it's just not Georgia and Clemson at the top, or Miami and Alabama playing at the top, Penn State, Wisconsin. Uh, but it's even matchups like Oregon state and Purdue, two evenly matched teams that you're going to figure out a lot about both teams at the start, West Virginia, Maryland, you know, Louisiana is going to be a public underdog against Texas and Steve Sarkeesian's first game. I mean, there's just a ton of of good matchups. There's even good group of five matchups, like a Boise state taking on UCF with two new coaches. I mean, it is as loaded and as deep as a week one card as I've ever seen following the sport the last 30 years. And, uh, I mean, that, that's good because that gets me motivated uh, for the, the offseason. We'll just put it that way.
0: Yeah, don't forget about that big game, Akron and Auburn. That should be a good one as well, right?
1: Uh, yeah, you know what? I'll give you my line on that one. Uh, and <laughs> let's look and see. Even though Auburn is a team that uh, you know has a new coach, lost a lot of returning production, or doesn't have much returning production, I got
0: Auburn minus 38. All right. Wow. Man. So <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Auburn minus 38 is a decent look here at, at this point in time so far out in advance, but uh, you know, joking aside here. Yeah. You know, and, and and the nice thing is too, I mean, kind of not to turn this into any sort of political discussion or anything like that, but it, it does seem like based on kind of what we're seeing here so far, based on what people are talking about with regards to vaccine timelines and, and this and that, look, I don't think that, I'd be surprised if we're up to having 80,000 people or or more in a stadium by week one. But I do think that at least we'll be in a position where, you know, these teams have been able to go through summer camps and fall practices and, you know, all of that. A lot more projection, you know, should be available at that point in time for the college football season to where, you know, hopefully, knock on wood, you know, things go off without a hitch here in, in the early part of September.
1: Fauci today said, you know, he expects as far as the vaccinations to start over and up to everybody being available in April. So obviously, and you've that's got
0: when, to think that, that schools that are desperate for money are going to do what they can to get their players vaccinated. And, and absolutely.
1: So then you got, in my opinion, three months or so to get a lot more, get, uh, you know, a majority of America vaccinated. So, I, I mean, I, do I expect a hundred thousand people in stands? Probably not, but I would anticipate, listen, everyone's playing, everyone's been vaccinated as far as, you know, the football players, so we're not worried about games getting canceled and whatnot, uh, and COVID outbreaks, that, that would be a big step. And I would expect everyone to have some fans in the stands, you know, whether it's half capacity or quarter capacity, we're not going to be playing in full empty stadiums in 2021. That, that's just my thought process. I hope so, because I'm a season ticket holder on UNLV. And I'm still waiting to watch a game in the brand new stadium.
0: So with your week one projections, did you put in full home field advantage?
1: I didn't, and I'm not actually. And even if they do open it up, I'm still, you know, one big. I'm glad you asked that question because I had a really, really good season with my power rings. Probably my best season ever. My power rings, and I really took out uh, home field advantage. And I, I'm not going to creep it back up to where it was. I think that was a major weakness in in my power rings. Was I was giving too much home field advantage pretty much across the board and I'm not going to walk that all the way back to where it was. So that's one thing I did figure out. And obviously home field advantage in football period has less and less and as travel has gotten easier and better uh, and, and people are just more accustomed to it. So I, I, I think that was one of my major takeaways that I'm, I'm going to lessen my home field advantage
0: moving forward. Well, that's a good discussion. and something that we can obviously talk about as we go forward here, but you, you think about it, especially like a college basketball context of these kids are playing like AAU tournaments and showcase tournaments and all that. They're already traveling all over the place anyway. Is it really that much different nowadays, you know, in terms of the visibility that's out there now, obviously, you know, we got questions for college football next year with incoming freshmen and, you know, what sort of film they had, you know, what the recruiting classes look like um, you know, how do teams, attack the transfer portal, you know, coming out of this spring FCS season, you know, a lot of questions with that too. But as far as home field advantage goes, I mean, look, these kids have been playing all over the place, traveling to play since the time they were probably what 10 or 11, you know, in a lot of these college athletics markets now. So like, yeah, I, I, and and travel is, I'm not going to call it luxurious by any means, but you know, it's a lot easier than it used to be. And, you know, we talk about it at, at the professional level where you've got, you know, sleep therapists and dietitians and, you know, teams don't get hammered on cross country flights anymore like they used to. You know, stuff like that. There's just a, a lot more attention paid to the health and well being of athletes at all levels and you know travel plans put in place, sleep schedules, all those yep. kinds of things. Yeah, I, I think home advantage across all sports is, is definitely lower now than it than it really ever has been.
1: Absolutely. But still you're gonna have that perception in the public's mind. I bet the home team. So, and it's going to be a long time uh, because they've been conditioned for, you know, 10, 20 years, home fields were three in football, three points, at least in the NFL, three points, three points. I think it's going to take a lot of the public to get that out of their thought process.
0: Yeah, I think so too. So that'll be definitely something that we can revisit as we talk some more college football. Uh, How many, how many teams are cleared for spring practices right now? Do you know offhand? Uh, In college football? Yeah
1: how many teams are playing you know participating in spring practice right now or you know they're going to give I mean, it a go
0: it's at least scheduled they're going to try to give it a go oh i think pretty much everybody's going
1: to give it a go okay. uh so you know all 130 are going to give it a go in fact new mexico state plays ta- we can talk about this game you know next week they play tarleton state they're actually playing a couple of games in the spring, uh, an FBS team in New Mexico State. But, you know, at least this week, I I saw that a bunch of name brand teams are scheduling spring games for, you know, April 10th, April 17th, and whatnot. So I think everyone's going to be pretty much a go. And, you know, getting everyone getting 15 spring practices uh, will, will be obviously different than last year, where basically nobody had a spring practice.
0: Calling New Mexico State an FBS team. I know they are in name, but that's pretty generous.
1: Yeah, it is. I'll be watching, though.
0: I know you will. Oh, I, believe me, I know you will. I, I know that uh, you are a college football guy first and foremost. And now, of course, that, uh, this year, that includes at the FCS level. Let's talk some college hoops here. And, you know, something that we've kind of been talking about over the last few shows here on, on ATS Radio is that now the NFL is done. And you've got people that either won money or lost money on the Super Bowl or just, you know, want some action out there. They're going to be playing a lot of college basketball. And we talked about this on Monday with Kyle Hunter with regards to the low and mid majors where, you know, some of the teams that we've seen make the NCAA tournament, win the automatic bids, this and that, they're just not very good this year. And it's something that you really do need to check on at that mid-major level. But Brad, it also seems like you got to check on it at the major conference level too, because there are some blue bloods that just are not living up to their usual expectations this year. And the market doesn't really seem to get it.
1: Yeah, I would say all the blue bloods. If you were to identify the five, you know, blue bloods of the sport, at least the last 20 years or even historically, I mean, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan State, uh, you know, the, 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 all those teams, North uh, those Carolina, five, yeah, North Carolina would be the other. Thank you, North Carolina. I know mean, all five of those teams are bad ATS teams. They are really bad against the spread, specifically Duke, Michigan, State, and Kentucky, who are all going to probably miss the NCAA tournament, uh, <laughs> which is unbelievable. But I, I think combined, the five teams are hitting just about 33% against the spread. If you were to blindly bet against those five blue bloods, the five most successful programs in college basketball the last 20 years, you'd be hitting 67% against the spread. Uh, if it was just Duke, Michigan State, and Kentucky, you're, you're you're above 70% against the spread if you're fading those teams. And yet, what I have seen even this week is the Dukes, the Michigan States, the Kentuckys, all are still taking action. The market moves towards them, meaning money is on those teams. You know, I don't know if it's a combination. I think it's a combination of the public's now getting involved in college basketball. They're going to gravitate to what they know. They know the Blue Bloods. And then I also think that there's professional guys that are thinking regression towards the mean leveling out. I mean, it's going to turn around for the, these, you know, the schools and, and these big name programs, because look, they've always been good. They, they can't, you know, be this bad, but I'm here to tell you that they are this bad. Kentucky's not turning around this year. Uh, I mean, we usually see them start to hit their stride because they're a young team. It ain't happening this year. Michigan State offensively is a joke, uh, honestly. Duke, uh, I mean, this can be it for, for Coach K. It's mean, just, you know, the public gravitates towards those teams, even, you know, professional money's on those teams. I am not on it. I, I think it's either fade or stay away uh, in, with those teams at this point. And it'll be interesting to see after the public loses a couple times with these teams if that money is going to continue to pour into the marketplace.
0: Well, and I think it's interesting we look at tonight, a game where Kansas is now up to seeing as high as 15 and a half in the global marketplace. I don't get it. Iowa state 15, pretty much the prevailing number. And look, Iowa state's 0 and 9 in conference play. So I imagine a lot of people that are just getting into college basketball are looking at this and saying, well, okay. They haven't won a conference game yet. They're playing Kansas. We know how good Kansas is every year. Oh, just going to go ahead and lay the Kansas number. And look, Iowa state, I mean, Their last three games, they've been competitive. They've lost by four, seven, and three to teams that, you know, two teams that are better than Kansas. So, you know, it's one of those interesting things where, as you said, a lot of money just taking for granted that some of these teams are just going to be as good as they usually are, and they're going to run over teams that have been pretty bad. I mean, you couldn't give me $20 that you found on the ground and tell me to bet it on Kansas laying 15 tonight. Yeah, I'm on Iowa State. So if you want another show
1: pick, I mean, I bet Iowa State. It's one of my favorite plays on the card. And, you know, people, again, are probably looking at Kansas. And maybe they made their first bet of the college basketball season because it was Monday night, it's Kansas. uh, And they won with Kansas. Okay, Kansas is okay. And maybe they look at some of the, you know, the more sophisticated public bettors are looking, oh, Kansas is 25th in Ken Palm. They're okay compared to even a Duke or a Michigan State. I can trust, maybe I can't trust Kentucky this year or Duke, but I can trust Kansas. They look halfway decent. The reality is that 25th rating on Kempom's their worst rating in the history of Kempom going back to the late 90s, if you're looking at an overall power rating on them. And I think the mispricing here isn't just on the Kansas side. It's on the Iowa State side. You mentioned people are going to see 2-12. and 12. Oh, Iowa State sucks. The reality is they were playing with a couple arms tied behind their back just a few games ago when they're missing three starters for you know a two three game stretch. Now that they've gotten those guys back, yeah, they lost to West Virginia, yeah, they lost to Oklahoma, and they lost the Blue Elite against TCU the other night. You know that's fine, but guess what? They covered the spread in all of those games and most of them relatively easily. So you know I I think it's still a buy low spot for Iowa State. So a little bit of. High on Kansas Cyclones were my favorite place tonight. Locking in plus fifteen. I'm not saying it's a lock, but I got the bet in.
0: Well, and I think too, it's it's really interesting because you know, as you said, the five blue bloods, you know, the teams that kind of get respect no matter what. Game seven forty seven, seven forty eight is Oregon and Arizona State, where Oregon opened a small favorite in Tempe. Now they're a short dog. Arizona State laying two or one and a half across the marketplace. And Oregon is a team that has been really good, has been a team that's put it together usually in February and March. Dana Altman, a great head coach. They go on a run, they get off the bubble or they win the Pac-12 tournament, something like that. But tonight, money coming in against Oregon. So it's really interesting to sort of look at the betting board on a daily basis and see, you know, okay, these teams that have this perception of annually being really good, which ones take that money and which ones don't. And I think that, you know, when you see a situation like money coming in against Oregon there, the context clue would suggest to me, even though I'm not a big Arizona state guy, that they're probably the right side.
1: Yeah. I it, complicated handicap here because both teams have been, you know, dealing with some COVID issues. Guys have been in and out of the lineup. I think it's mainly a fate against Oregon cause they've had some really key guys out here. You know, Duarte and Eric Williams have been a couple of guys for them uh, that, that have missed a, a lot of action here recently. So my guess is, and I haven't read the updated injury reports for that one, uh, I'm guessing those guys might be out. So that might be part of the okay. move there. Uh, so, but you're right. Uh <laughs> There is some guesswork, uh, but I will say overall, you know, even if you're not good at this uh, and uh, a good way to start, write down the teams that that take a majority of the action. Cause I'm always going to say it's easier to to, to win versus the opening lines than against the close. And, And if you want, if you're dabbing your toe and you're batting, maybe you're not a college hoops guy, but you kind of want to dip your toe before March Madness. You you need to scratch that itch. You know, one of my biggest things is look at, you know, sides and totals. What is the market doing? You know, who is getting a a ton of action and, and, you know, also maybe take a step further and and read why maybe, maybe it was an injury or whatnot, but a lot of instances it isn't. It's just a team that that's getting steamed against or steamed on whether it be side or total. And, you know, I, I would tell you this, and if you want to, you know, maybe g- get a little bit of return on your investment teams that get, you know, steamed usually isn't just one game, unless it's an injury. Usually it's multiple games, three, four, five games in advance. And if I could give anybody, you know, a, a good piece of advice, just tracking that on a nightly basis and, and getting a game plan for future games, betting on or against, even if it's 10 $20 type of bets, Uh, I think you'll have success in that regard, at least getting ahead of the
0: numbers. Well, certainly a lot of stuff to follow here in the marketplace and and something else too. And of course, this is unique to this 2020 21 COVID season is that we're getting those back-to-backs and now we're getting some of that money in the marketplace. That's going to look at the first game team won by 20 spreads eight, the second game, and they're going to go, well, why wouldn't they win by 20 again? Nope. Bet the favorite. So, That's going to be a really interesting dynamic to watch here, too, with these back-to-backs against the same teams where, you know, if the game performs one way or performs another way, the market's probably just going to flock to, you know, whatever they most recently saw. And that's something that, you know, I know you've been following very, very closely to kind of look for either overreactions or spots where there hasn't been enough of a reaction.
1: Absolutely. So a lot of times I'm looking to bet on the favorite, if they, especially if they lost outright the first game. A lot of times the market will just, you know, be all oh, they lost outright. OK, they're not as good. So let's, you know, they, they downgrade the favorite a little bit when they, it's almost like, you know, a series in, in the NBA playoffs where okay, I mean, if the favorite loses game one, okay, game two is a must win for them. The market reacts to the zigzag, and, and even though the team that lost game one usually gets bet on and, and you're paying a premium on the team to spread, a lot of times if it's the favorite, it'll be higher in game two than game one just because it, it's kind of a must-win mode. I'm not seeing that so much uh, in college hoops. You know, that team's getting downgrade for losing outright as a favorite, and uh, I, I just – I don't buy that. A lot of times, you know, dive into the box score. Why did it happen? Was it an outlier shooting performance on the dog from, especially from three point range? And if that's the case and maybe the favorite had a really poor shooting night from three, then I expect regression towards mean. So that's one thing that I'm, one of the staples that I'm looking to take advantage of uh, unique to 2021 college hoops in these back-to-backs. The other thing is the totals and maybe people aren't looking at it too much, but these back-to-back totals, there's overreaction. Uh, First game goes over, uh, and especially if it's by a lot, you get an adjustment on the total, and the second game has gone under by an average of 55%. Same same instance, first game goes under, people overreact, okay, lower scoring. Second game goes over by about 56%. So we are seeing overreaction to that game one. And uh, obviously, there's several conferences playing a lot of back-to-backs right now.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really excellent point. And also, too, you know, I mean, look, teams will adjust. You know, you're not really getting – yeah. you're, getting, you're getting some back-to-backs with no off day, but a lot of these back-to-backs have a day off in between. And, you know, these teams probably aren't going through a rigorous practice or anything like that, but maybe a shoot-around in a film session of, look, here's this offensive set that they ran, or here's this offensive opportunity that we can run based on this defense that they're showing – adjustments will take place and I think that those will probably show up a lot more in the totals as opposed to the sides so it is very important when you get that first data point to understand why the game played out the way that it did you know we've seen some games and I know we've picked on some of these here on the show where the first game one team might have 38 free throw attempts you know make 31 of them and win the game by six well they're probably not having 38 free throw attempts in the second game so You know, then you can make an adjustment not only to the side, but in the total as well. So these are really good opportunities as long as you just don't automatically take that first result for granted.
1: Yeah, and I guess my – what I have done is, uh, unless I really like a side or a total in that game one – To me, I'm all about forget game one. Let's just go to game two and see what the reaction is. Let's see if there was an outlier in that performance. So in a lot of these back to backs, whether they're Thursday, Friday or Friday, Saturday, a lot of times I'm I'm not doing much on the game ones, the first of the back to backs. I'd much rather play game two. and, And that's where at least I've perceived there to be value.
0: So not seeing any overnight lines for Friday as of yet. I know Circa typically opens the market, and they kind of do so at random points throughout. Yeah, they
1: do at random. Damn them. I wish it was an exact time, (laughs) but I I get why they do it, I guess.
0: No, I I can certainly understand why as well. But, uh, you know, as I said, we don't have any exact numbers to talk about, but I'm sure they'll come out shortly after we finish recording the show here because that's just kind of how it goes. Uh, But there were a couple of games for Friday night that you were taking a look at. Yeah.
1: So Manhattan, I'm going to be on Manhattan, you know, Ken Palm projects them to be a seven point underdog against Iona. I I'm telling you, as long as that number is four or more, so I'm even going to, you know, give two, three points uh, of value here. I'm going to fade Iona. And if if you're not familiar with Iona, they're coached by one of my favorite coaches of all time, maybe not off the court, but on the court, Richard Pitino. Uh, It's his first year, but here's why I'm fading Iona they haven't played since december 23rd that's right december 23rd it's one of the longest layoffs we've seen even in this covid season they, they and not only it's not just been a couple guys it's been everybody's had covid on the entire team 17 players and staff members have had covid at some point during this break for iona patino's been away from the team he got covid and was away from the team for weeks and and, and patino w- one reason why i like him he's very Uh, forthright, at least with the media, maybe not with some uh, transgressions with his marriage and whatnot, but uh, he basically said, you know, we're just, we don't look like a basketball team right now. We're just going to try to give it our best, you know, come this game tomorrow and uh, we're not conditioned right and whatnot. So he's painting a very bleak picture. I don't think he's sandbagging to be honest with you. So I'm going to take him for what his word and I'm going to take Manhattan plus the points there, as long as I'm getting four or more in that one. The other one's very similar. Let me, let me
0: interrupt you real quick. Yeah, go Manhattan ahead. Here, they've played nine games since yeah. Iona's played their last game. So yep. this is a team that's at least been playing. They don't have a great record, but they've lost three games in overtime. They've lost a game by four and a game by five. So this is a team that doesn't get blown out. I mean, they're not very good, but they don't get blown out. Expect a slow tempo here in this one because both of these teams do play at, at pretty, uh, pretty close to a snail's pace, as a lot of teams up in the MAAC do. So, yeah, that's one where the higher the number, the better off you're going to be, not only because Iona hasn't been playing, but because with the expected number of possessions in that game, seems like it would be very hard for Iona to be efficient enough uh, to blow out a team like Manhattan. Absolutely. And, and going to be a lower scoring game, probably
1: played in the one twenties at, at, at most, maybe even in, in uh, you know, the teens sort of say, I mean, <laughs> one fifteen, And again, that's, if you, I got a sizable dog and it's already going to be a low scoring game. That's uh, forget the COVID stuff aside. And that's usually something, one of my staples. So yeah, I, man, I, I not only talk this, but Manhattan's probably one of my college, favorite college basketball plays the last several weeks. So I, I would get after that one. That, that one's going to move. I'll just put it that way. Whether it's, you know, me moving it, because I'll get after it here when they open it up, uh, or, or there's going to be other people that have the same line of thinking that I do on that one. The other one would be Quinnipiac, stay in the same conference, same situation. Canisius hasn't played since early January. Quinnipiac is going to be a short favorite, probably minus one, minus two, minus three. Lay it with Quinnipiac against Canisius.
0: And, and that's been a really good angle, too, those teams off the long COVID
1: pause. Yeah, fifty-eight percent is if they're off, you know, at least fourteen days, and and obviously if they're if they're playing an opponent that's not off a long break. So as long as they're off at least fourteen days, it's if you're fading those teams off the long break, you're fifty-eight percent. The good news is it gets a lot better as more time. You increase the time, and it makes sense, and it should hopefully. Uh, it it's a further disadvantage the teams that are off i believe the teams that are off this is a a number from a couple you know, days ago so I haven't seen the update but if you're off at least twenty eight days it's twice as worth uh, worse for you as if it's if you're off fourteen days I, I didn't say that right i can't believe I'm doing media Basically, it's doubly worse
0: with more time let' just put it that way no i mean it completely makes sense and you know it, it's just one of those things that again unique to a covid season and I mean, have the odds makers adjusted to these long COVID pauses?
1: They have started this week to account for it a little bit. What is really what I've seen is the market starting to figure it out. Meaning guys like myself, I'm not the only one betting into this. There's other people. But uh, again, when it's smaller teams like Guyona and, and Quinnipiac and Canisius and whatnot, I don't see it as much as the other teams like, you know, a team coming up, Michigan, who's, you know, a top five team that's been off forever. That one will probably be accounted for much more significantly
0: than these very small conference teams. When of course, Eastern Michigan and Western Michigan, and I think central Michigan, all the directional Michigan schools in the Mac have been on those long pauses as well. Correct. Yep. So, you know, I believe Western I think played uh,
1: relatively uh, just because they beat my Bowling Green Falcons, But, but maybe, maybe that was more than a week ago.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. So again, keep an eye out for those COVID pauses. Keep an eye out for a lot of the FCS college football stuff. Just a lot of the things we talked about here on today's show with Brad Powers, professional better and handicapper from bradpowersports.com. And what's happening over at the site right now, man? Yeah. So college hoops,
1: daily updates. You get all my picks each and every day, all the way through March Madness and the, the national championship. That's seventy nine bucks. You don't get a game. It's not like my newsletter where it's in a newsletter format and you get a game right up on every game, whether I have an opinion or not on it. It's just basically you you get my picks, but I just don't give out plays. I give out, you know, thought processes of why I'm betting it and why I perceive there to be value. So, we usually get you know a couple plays a night, and obviously, if it's a bigger card like the weekend, like Saturday, you're getting you know five, six, seven, maybe even 10 plays. So, if you want daily uh, plays and updates, 79 bucks. I will say this: it's just not college hoops. I will include my FCS bets in there as well. So, that's 79 bucks college football, college basketball through the national championship game. Not only for college hoops, but also the FCS national championship game, and you can check that out at BradPowerSports.com.
0: And as always, make sure you follow Brad on Twitter at Brad Powers and the number seven. Brad, appreciate your time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me and we'll talk to you again next week. All right, sounds good, man. Take care. There you go. There's professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowerssports.com at Brad Powers and the number seven on Twitter. Coming up on Friday, I'm going to fly solo, do the show early in the morning, get it done so I can get to working on the MLB betting guide. who to talk about the early win totals that were posted by WinBet in New Jersey and Colorado. Give you some of my thoughts on those numbers. Kind of talk about what's been happening here of late with transactions, free agents, trades, all that sort of thing. Because teams report to spring training the middle of next week. Spring training games start, I believe, the last week of February, first week of March. Then, of course, the season, April 1st. So I'll talk some baseball on a solo edition of ATS Radio for Friday. They'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.